<laughs> All right. <clears throat> well, good morning. Uh, it feels so great to be back here at PV. We've been at Outpost for the past couple months, and so it's really good to be back here with all you guys at PV. And you might notice I'm not wearing my suit and tie. Uh, I dropped it off at the dry cleaners, and they messed it all up. So this was the only thing I had left. <laughs> I did that good. Yes. <laughs> But yes, I am dressed very oddly today, if you'll notice, uh, and there's a few reasons for that. For starters, it's Youth Sunday, so why not have fun with it? It's giving our younger people in the congregation a chance to serve, and so having fun with it. Um, it's also Halloween today, so this is my Halloween costume. This is my Halloween costume. Um, now, if you know where we're at in our March study, we're in March 6, and so I'm dressed up as John the Baptist. And... He is recorded as wearing camel's hair and a leather belt, and I killed this camel myself the other day. I went to Egypt and got it myself, uh, took a 300-yard shot, knocked it down, first shot. So this is legit camel's hair, not uh, fake fur from Hobby Lobby. And this is, this is real leather, too, tanned it myself, and this, this pouch is real, too. But, uh, so, yes, I'm dressed as John the Baptist, which is who we'll be covering today in our March study. Uh, John was a guy who was not scared to call out people, and that's what we'll see. He was not scared to call out people on their sins, and no matter who it was, he was not scared to do it. And he definitely spoke out against the culture of his day. It's obvious that in today's society and culture, Jesus is not at the center. Uh, I've been reading this book called Your Daily Fill by Phil Robertson, and if anyone's John the Baptist, it's him. He lives in the middle of nowhere. He hunts. He fishes. He lives off the land. He doesn't even own a cell phone. doesn't know what Facebook is or Wi-Fi. He calls his phone, uh, all the phones, the little black box because he doesn't know what they're called. And so this is from his book, and I've been reading this book for a while. Uh, in his book, Your Daily Fill, he says this in his introduction. Our politicians have booted God out of schools. They tried to boot God out of their platforms and started promoting the slaughter of children in the womb. They removed the statues, signs, and symbols of our country's biblical heritage from the public square. They knelt for chaos and stood for evil. With God and his word effectively canceled out of our culture, the idea began to spread that all truth is relative. The prevailing attitude of the day is follow your own desires and make your own truth. In today's America, everyone's personal truth must be accepted and celebrated. That is except for biblical morality. That is the one truth that must be silenced at all costs. And in that quote, Phil is talking about how far our society has fallen and how far they've kicked God out of everything. And so I would highly recommend that book. It's 100 days of reading, and it takes all his books that he's written, and it compiles them into one book and it's just a hundred days of reading each day is about a page and a half long and so it's not that much if you want to read it I would greatly recommend it I bought it at Walmart but in that quote we see that God is being kicked out of today's culture and that it's happening all around us abortion rates are skyrocketing churches across America are closing the doors every day crime is rampant and it's all because this culture wants to silent the truth that is God's word and if church history has taught us anything, it's that this church, the body of Christ, has some of its greatest moments when the current and popular culture don't have God at its center. We see this with Esther during the rule of King Ahasuerus. 
Uh, We see it with Daniel during the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, Paul and the other disciples during the early church under Roman rule, and then Nero's rule. And then we see it today with the death of John the Baptist at the hands of Herod. One of these moments where the culture did not have God at their center. And it helped propel Jesus' ministry. So leading up to John's death, the author of Mark sets the tone of this account with Jesus being rejected at his hometown of Nazareth. And then we see Jesus preparing his disciples for ministry, and he tells them that they won't always be received. I think that Mark puts this flashback of John's death here to emphasize the fact that being a Christian will often put you into the crosshairs of society and may even end up with your head on a platter. And so that's the title for today's sermon, is The Christian's Head on Culture's Platter. Now, will you pray with me? Dear God, I thank you for this beautiful day that we get to gather together and worship you and read your word. Uh, I thank you for the ministry of John the Baptist. And uh, we get to study him and see how his sacrifices and his ministry just helped to propel your ministry and lead you to the cross and to save us of our sins. So just be with us today as we dive into your word and help us to feel what you are putting on our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Now, out of my little pouch, I carry my Bible. And so, if you'll turn with me to Mark 6, 14 through 29, and that's where we'll be camped out today. So, Mark 6, 14 through 29 reads, And King Herod heard of it, and it is uh, verse 13 when it says, They were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil, many sick people and healing them. So that's what King Herod heard of. And so King Herod heard of it, for his name, Jesus' name, had become well known, and people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others were saying, he is Elijah, and others were saying, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. And it keeps saying that John has risen, because at this point in Jesus' ministry, John has been killed. This is just a flashback that the author Mark puts in here. So verse 17, for Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. For Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and kept him safe. When he heard him, he was very perplexed, and he used to enjoy listening to him. Now a strategic day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. And he swore to her, Whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you, up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in a hurry to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and had him beheaded in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about this, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. 
So as I read through this passage, there's a lot of ideas that kept popping into my head. Uh, through my studies at York, uh, York College, one of the things that stuck with me, one of my professors said, every time you read, ask yourself, what sticks out to you? It could be a verse, it can be a single word, it can be a name, it can be anything that sticks out to you. And so these are some of the ideas that really stuck out to me in this passage. First, we see that John had no fear in calling out Herod's sins. We see that Herod was doing wrong. He had married his brother's sister, and he was going against God's word. So John called him out. And then he called Herodias out also. And it's mentioned by Mark that Herod feared John, but he was also very perplexed and enjoyed listening to John. But Herodias was so hurt by John calling her out that she wanted him dead. But it, but it says that Herod put John in jail, and I think that this was a protective measure for John because Herod liked to listen to John. And so the second idea that pops out to me is that Herod does find the message that John preaches perplexing, intriguing, but he doesn't act on it. John was preaching the message that the kingdom of God is near and that a new grace was about to be outpoured through the Messiah. Something in that gospel message that John was preaching intrigued Herod, but he didn't take. There are many cases like that today. People hear the gospel message, but they won't act on it. They're intrigued by it, but they won't act on it. So the final part that really jumps out to me is how Herod was greatly persuaded by the people around him. Uh, we see that Herod found the message that John was preaching very intriguing and perplexing. But when his wife didn't like it, he imprisoned John because he had peer pressure from his wife. And then when he promised his stepdaughter slash niece, which is a weird relationship, <laughs> yeah, when he promised her whatever she wanted, he caved into the peer pressure of what others were, would think about him if he denied her request. And so he gave her John's head. And along with the big ideas that pop out to me, there's also a few questions that we should be asking about this passage. And there's four main questions that I want to ask. And we'll go through these. And so the first question that, we, that I come upon is, should we criticize sinful leaders publicly? And I think the initial answer is yes. Obviously, the leaders of our country aren't always going to be Christian. They aren't always going to have God at the center of the choices that they make. But I don't think that John started his ministry with the plan to end up with an audience with Herod and confronting Herod's sins. But rather than talking about Herod's sins to other people or the people that were listening to John, he went straight to Herod and called him out on his unlawful sins. John set this example that we should follow. And that example is that we should talk to people directly about their sins rather than talking to others about it. Too often we like to talk about an issue rather than talk to the people about their issues. And gospel ministry is healthy and effective when we speak to people, not about people. You might be wondering now, how can I get an audience with the president or with my governor or with anyone else that is higher up on the chain? And the answer is you don't have to. We probably all have authority figures in our lives that they live in sin. Uh, we can take this example that John gives us to confront them, but we can't always go straight to the president or the governor or whoever and say, hey, you're doing this wrong. We can't always get an audience with them. So why not just take the people that God has placed in your life and confront them? In the movie, uh, the 2011 movie Courageous, which I don't know if all you guys have seen that, but it's a great movie. It's a Christian movie, and I would highly recommend it. But the character Javier Martinez, uh, he gets this new job, and his employer offers him 
a promotion as a full-time manager, but there's one catch. He has to falsify inventory documents. And so Martinez, Javier Martinez, he thinks about it for a day, and he's struggling with it all night. And the next day, he goes up to his boss, and he says, I can't do it. And he says it's because he's a Christian. It goes against what he believes. He can't lie on those documents. And to his surprise, it, the scene does a great job at capturing it. He's sitting there, and he's distraught because he feels like he's about to lose his job because he won't do what his boss wants him to do. And he's sitting there, and he says, I can't do it, boss. And the boss says, perfect, you're the man I want. And he gives him the promotion. And his pay is raised, and it's revealed that this condition that Javier was put in, if he was to lie on the documents, it was a test of his integrity. And this test was one that many other people had failed, and he was the only one to pass it. So in this situation, he's given a difficult situation. And his boss wasn't necessarily being sinful, but through Javier's actions and his character, he was able to show his boss the character of Jesus within him. And so we can do the same thing. We can call out the sin of people in our lives. It can be our bosses. It could be our friends. It could be anyone. It could be our family members. But we can call them out in their sin, and we can do it in a correct and loving way when we have the courage. And we can show people the image of Jesus through our actions. And like I mentioned earlier, the church works well, very often under the rule of those who don't follow God. We find the people of God under the rule of non-godly people very often, but they always find a way to make it work. Some examples, we have Esther, we have Daniel, and then we have Joseph who was in Egypt, and then we have John. And we may be in a culture that rejects God, but we can find a way to make it work. They found a way to make it work. So the next question that pops up is should we expect sinners to act like saints? To a certain extent, yes, we should, because there's laws in the world that prevent, that say you shouldn't murder people, and I wonder where they get that law. But unless people know God, they don't have an absolute truth to follow. So John came to Herod declaring that God's word is better than our own opinions. And John tells Herod that he is breaking the law, but he's not breaking Roman law. He's breaking God's law. And John, I guarantee you, he knew the scriptures very well. Uh, I guarantee you God gave him that power. And his dad was also a priest, so he probably would have learned from him too. So I think when John is confronting Herod, he's thinking of these two verses, Leviticus 18.16 and Leviticus 20.21. So 18.16 says, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife, which is exactly what Herod was doing. And it is your brother's nakedness. And then Leviticus 20, 21 says something very similar. If there is a man who takes his brother's wife, it is abhorrent. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They will be childless. And so I think when John is confronting Herod, I don't think this, I know this. He's not using his own opinions. He's using God's word. And so the interesting thing with John is that he goes right into the accusation of the sins. And he lets Herod know that he needs forgiveness for his sin. And we learn from this that we, can sh that we can't show someone the grace of God unless they know the sins that they have committed. The gospel is the only power to change a sinner. But it requires the acknowledgement of sin before the guarantee of salvation. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John was concerned that biblical truth was being spoken. He wanted that to be spoken. 
he was concerned that God was going to be revealed to the world. He was also concerned about Herod acknowledging his sins. So unless we allow people to see the sins that they are committing, they can't know the grace that God offers. But don't tell people their sins based on your own opinion. John stuck with the scriptures to point out sin, which is exactly what we should be doing, sticking to the scriptures. And so the third question that pops up is, should we be shocked by the depravity or the wickedness in our culture? And I think the answer is no. We are responsible for how we deliver the truth of God, but we are not responsible for how they receive it. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us to always be ready to make a defense for Christ, to deliver the truth with gentleness and reverence. But it doesn't tell us that we are responsible for making others receive it. Ever since Adam and Eve, this world has been plagued with sin. So why should we be surprised when people who don't know or don't have the knowledge or don't acknowledge God when they live sinfully? John also knew that confronting Herod would be his best chance to keep Herod from continuing in sin. John knows that sin begets sin, and so one sin leads to another. Herod started with an affair with his brother's, with his brother's sister, and some scholars think that Herodias was already related to Herod because of the name. So Herodias, Herod, it's kind of similar. And so there may already be sins there. But Herod, he starts with this sin of adultery. And then he has this huge party, which I don't think it was uh, cheese and crackers or they were watching the Super Bowl. It was a party that would have been full of wine and women and other very sinful activities that I'm not going to get into. And so Herod then allows his stepdaughter, his niece, who he allows her to dance in front of him and his guests. And it says that they pleased him. And you can read into that as much as you want. But I'm guessing that it was not a very good dance and so she dances well enough that he says she can have anything and this leads to john being beheaded and so sin begets sin one sin follows another and it just keeps growing and this sin that herod started with the adultery of his brother's sister or his brother's wife then led to the death of john who according to herod's own standards was a righteous and holy man so our motivation should be the same as john's which is to stop sin but not to show that we as Christians have it all together. John wasn't perfect. He lived in the desert, which honestly sounds like paradise. It, it sounds great, but he, there's not much of a ministry out there except for John made it worth it. The other mission that John had was to confront the depravity and the wickedness of his culture. And that he had the goal of seeking to stop the wave of sin rather than showing that we have all the answers and that we are superior. John just wanted to stop the sin in its tracks. And so the final question that we should ask is, should we assume that following Jesus is easy? When we embark on the journey of following Jesus, we will experience hardships, and we are promised that. Any path of discipleship that does not anticipate suffering is not truly following Jesus. In America, we can't really say that we've been persecuted in comparison to churches in the Middle East, China, Korea, other places around the world, we have it easy. We are able to gather here together in this building that has our name on the side, and no one's going to come in here and start shooting the place or killing us for our belief. We have that freedom. So we can't really say we have been persecuted when someone calls you a Bible thumper. It might not be comfortable, but you aren't being persecuted in comparison to other churches around the world. So we can publicly proclaim our faith without being punished. 
but we might be ridiculed and made fun of, but not to the extreme measures of death. But we do have hardships in this life. Uh, a few weeks back ago, Charles, he preached on Jesus calming the storm and how in our lives, we're either going into a storm, we are in one, or we are just getting out of one, and then we're preparing to get into another. And so our lives are full of twists and turns, and Satan is constantly trying to drag us down and drag others down with him. But we must keep our present hardships in perspective by remembering the sufferings of Jesus and the promise of eternity that he offers. And so another question that fits into this main question of following Jesus is, do you think John the Baptist is in heaven because he was a good person? And obviously the answer is no. It's because he trusted and he followed God. Do you think that John is up in heaven saying, living in the desert, eating those locusts, and being beheaded, it was not for me? Of course not. John is definitely up there saying, all my suffering, worth it. So if Jesus was able to do what he did for us, which is go to the cross and die for our sins, but then be resurrected, don't you think that we will be able to speak his truth and be able to withstand any hardship that comes with it? We will all have trouble in this life. Again, that's promised. And it will, become, it will come from doing good or from doing evil. So choose wisely. And we are all suffering in one of two ways. Either one, we are not following God's word, or two, we are following Jesus and staying close to his word and trusting him through the results. We know that even though John had sufferings and he wasn't perfect, he's in heaven because of Jesus. So the big question is, will you be in heaven? We are all in one of three positions. Throughout this story, there's three main characters, and we are all in one of those positions. You're either John, you're Herod, or you're Herodias. If you're Herodias, you're doing what you want, you don't care what anyone says, and if someone gets hurt by getting in your way, so be it, and you're rejecting the truth. Are you Herod? Do you lean towards the truth? Do you find it intriguing or perplexing? But you're being held back by the relationships you have. Many times we find ourselves making decisions based on how it will reflect, affect our relationships with others rather than our relationship with God. Or are you John? You're not perfect. But if you suffer, you're going to suffer for doing things God's way rather than culture's way. And you follow the truth. So who are you going to be? Are you going to be Herodias, Herod, or John? And if you're going to be John, that means accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior and be willing to endure the hardship for the kingdom. So are you willing to put your head on culture's platter for the gift of eternity of Jesus? Will you pray with me? Dear God, I thank you for this beautiful day again that we get to come together and worship and just learn more about John. And again, I ask you, just help us to be a John in our lives. Help us to be able to confront the sin in our world and help us to go against the normals of this culture. So just help us to find encouragement in this story of John. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.